it really dovetails well with what Luther talks about in the theology of the cross. Um, I think the, the shepherd motif, Jesus uh, walked where we could not go. Just like the shepherd in Psalm 23, he leads through the valley of the shadow of death. And, and so we see those pictures kind of crossing, um, you know, and then in the incarnation, we see him taking the form of a servant. And so then we see this servant leadership and the washing of the feet. That we- hey guys, real quick, before we start this episode on Dr. Benjamin Forrest on his biblical theology for the church series published by Craigle Academic, make sure you listen to the end to find out if you won last week's book giveaway with Dr. Gary Millar of Queensland Theological College on his book, Change Into His Likeness, published by IVP Academic. We hope you guys enjoyed this episode. We'll see you on the other side. Welcome to the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast featuring Peter Bell and Nick Fulweiler. This is a show about Christian doctrine for everyone from the historic Reformed tradition, delivered by two friends in an unscripted dialogue. Join us as we discuss how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything. Are you in the Orange County or Santa Ana area? We are exploring a church plant, Santa Ana Reformed, with the oversight and accountability of Oceanside URC and Reverend Danny Hyde. If you are interested or you know someone who might be interested in the area, please check out our show notes for a link to sign up for updates. Our Twitter or Instagram at guiltgracepod or Santa Ana URC for the same sign-up link, or simply email us at SantaAnnaReformed at gmail.com. We begin meetings on October 28th at 6.30 p.m. at 4th Street Market in downtown Santa Ana. Now on with the episode. Hello, everyone. Yet once again, it's another day of fresh grace and mercy. This is a book club episode presented by your brothers in Christ, Nick and Peter, from the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast, where we bridge the gap to Reformed Christian Theology for your listening pleasure. After the episode, check out our show notes for, t- for a link to today's book, both books actually, by Dr. Benjamin K. Forrest. There's one on biblical leadership, theology for the everyday leader, and the second volume, biblical worship, theology for God's glory. Both are from the Biblical Theology for the Church series published by Craigle Academic. And there's also a link to our network of the Society of Reformed Podcasters and a link to the North American Presbyterian and Reformed Churches, as well as one for our Baptist brothers and sisters to find churches near you. So again, for today's book club, we have Dr. Benjamin K. Forrest. He'll be talking to us about his two-volume book series from the Biblical Theology for the Church, uh, Biblical Worship and Biblical Leadership, published by Craigo Academic. Yep. So we got Dr. Ben Forrest, his associate dean of the College of Arts and Sciences at Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia, co-author of Good Arguments, uh, co-editor of the History of Apologetics, again, this, this series, which I believe there's another one coming up that we'll talk about later on, <clears throat> but we're excited to have him on. Um, it's a different book than I think most people are used to, and I think it's a helpful book for the church and for, for a lot of people. So thanks for coming on, Dr. Forrest. Hey, thanks. Good for coming, Ben. Yeah, thank you. Um, so these two, there's two volumes of these books, like I mentioned. They're both in the biblical theology for the 
Church series by Craigle. Um, and there's been many books, obviously, written on worship and leadership. What makes these two volumes different? Uh, that's a good question. Um, if you went to a publisher and said, hey, I want to write a book on leadership, most of them would probably laugh. Uh, <laughs> yeah. with, you know, and deservedly so. Welcome to the club. Yeah. So when I, I went to a publisher and said I wanted to write a book on leadership, uh, it didn't get quite the traction I originally had hoped and dreamed. But at the time, I was I was working in the seminary here at Liberty, and I was the the chair of practical studies. Mm-hmm. And um, we had a, a class, biblical foundations for leadership. And the professor, he was in, he was new to teaching that class, and he came and asked what he should what books I would recommend. Huh. Um, and so I was like, well, that's easy. There's got to be a hundred thousand books to use that are really good and and biblical foundations for leadership. And, and as I looked. All of them were um, business leadership imputed to the church or some sort of practical leadership applied to a a cross-section of the church or, um, you know, kind of cherry-picked passages that were convenient to the thesis of the author. Hmm. And and so what I I began to see was that there really was not a text-driven leadership book. Hmm. And... So I went over to the chair of biblical studies who's Chet Roden who co-edited it with me. And I said, Hey, uh, do you know of any books in your world that are biblical theologies of leadership? And that really should be pretty easy. He agreed. It should be easy. Uh, And the more we looked, the less we found that that was to our liking, that was canonical, that was uh, theological, that was systematic. And that was driven by exegesis instead of just a convenience. And so the original subtitle that I pitched to the publisher was Exegesis for the Everyday Leader. Hmm. Uh, they said that that uh, intimidated the uh, <laughs> people they ran it by. And so we yeah. switched theology for the everyday leader. Because really what I wanted the book to be was I wanted it to be um, language-driven, nuanced, socio-rhetorical research. I wanted their expertise into this practical world. And... Um, so we started to put together um, an idea and a proposal and, and started emailing people that, that I didn't know. I mean, I was some, some dude from Virginia that just barely got this job and was emailing uh, some pretty well-known scholars. <laughs> and, and the funny thing that came from it was time and again, they said, I always wanted to write on leadership, <laughs> but because I'm an Old Testament scholar, nobody asks me, or because I'm a New Testament scholar, I, that's not my world. And so academia tends to kind of pigeonhole people into their world. You know, if you're a a demon or a preaching professor, you can speak to to leadership. You're a church growth guy. You can speak to leadership, but we tend to to relegate you to what your kind of background is. So that's kind of how the project started. Um, Does that answer kind of where you're, what you're asking? Yeah. And I like how, you know, our ultimate leader, our king, Jesus, is why not, you know, focus our leadership towards him, right? So, yeah, well, yeah, that's, yeah. A, good, that's a good explanation, too, because I've, I've not, I've read books and I've seen books, I mean, especially on my bestseller list or Barnes and Noble or something like that, where it's how to be a leader. And they're like, oh, let's pick this text from somewhere here. And they just completely ignore the context and say, like, oh, let's, let's do this. And we're like, that's not really what that text is saying versus yeah. having a text centric view of what leadership is. Yeah, and, and I know, I mean, maybe it's a unique context of um, 
liberty and kind of the way we do higher education, but we liberty from its inception has really kind of been, we want you to be vocational leaders. And so there really has been a push, at least in my time here, I, I moved away from the seminary into the College of Arts and Sciences about three or four years ago. And, and so I'm not quite as associated currently, but when I was in there, there was a uh, push to recruit undergrads who wanted to go into business and wanted to go into education and wanted to go into anything and everything to just do a two-year seminary degree. Seminary here has always, they've always capped the tuition well. And so, you know, for a couple thousand dollars, you can do an MA in leadership, Christian leadership. Um, and, and so that was kind of one of our pitches to students to just uh, equip them and encourage them and edify them. But because of that, they, they didn't come in. They didn't get all of the hermeneutics classes that the MA Bib Studies students got. They didn't oh, yeah. get the languages. And, and so I saw this population that I really wanted to get them some really good theology. In addition to kind of the seminary students, at least in the class that we taught at Liberty, a lot of counseling students take that class. It's, a, it's an elective that's available for counselors. And... Um, you know, in the, in the MA in counseling or the MA in human services, they, they don't have any uh, required theology courses they have to take, which makes sense. Um, but if they take this as an elective, I didn't want to just give them kind of recycled, um, you know, pop examples uh, that are conveniently chosen. I really wanted to give them a theology of Genesis and a theology of Joshua, a theology of Daniel, and, and moving on into uh, and throughout scripture. Yeah, with that said, is there any, if somebody's looking into getting these books and getting in into them, um, is there a prerequisite of understanding or knowledge that they should have uh, before? No, um, I would say some patience. Um, it really was meant to to be read and understood by people who, who don't come in with a Bib Studies background. Hmm. Um, however, uh, the first chapter of the Old Testament section and the first chapter of the New Testament section is a concept study. And and so I think that was important for kind of the context that we were going to use it academically. Um, but I, I just mailed um, two copies of the worship book to my aunts mm. and um, they would both like to read. I came out, I had extra copies. So I sent one to Arizona and one to Oregon. And um, I just said, skip chapter one and chapter 22. <laughs> your, your favorite cup of tea. And if you tried to do that right away, you might just go, I'm, I'm never reading chapter two through 30. Um, but if you can just start with Genesis and, and, and kind of start to explore what that is, it, it may drive you to go back and, and read those concept studies. I think they're written in a way, uh, you know, we, we use transliteration of the Hebrew and the Greek so that you don't have to kind of go, this is just some alphabet I've never seen. Uh, so at least there's kind of a, a recognition that um, it could be useful if you want to work through it, but you don't have to. So um yeah, I guess that, that's my... Yeah, so your everyday person can read this, would benefit. Theology for the Everyday Leader, that's the subtitle. That was the hope. I, I wanted to be useful for the church. Um, I wanted to be useful for, you know, I got a, a good friend here in Lynchburg who likes reading leadership stuff. Uh, he co-owns a, a wealth management company. Hmm. And, um, you know, he, he reads the, the kind of the, the everyday um, leadership stuff. But this is a book that I want him to read too, because... He has the capacity to do that. He's an interested deacon in his church, you know, a leader in his church, um, theologically able and capable. And so it, it should help him because he is an everyday leader. 
And I think we made this clear. There's two volumes here. Yeah. So I've only been talking about the one though. Sorry. <laughs> oh, no problem. And well, the reason why it's I brought like, that please up. Please talk about the other one. <laughs> yeah. No reason. Uh, the only reason I brought that up is, you know, this is an audio show so people can't see what we're looking at, but um, there's two volumes here. One is on leadership. One is on worship. So why uh, do the uh, one before the other, which would leadership? Yeah, I, I know there's been more biblical works on worship. So what makes this one kind of different than other books written theologically about worship? That, that's a good question. Um, so I, I did the, the leadership one as I kind of just laid out. I had so much fun with it <clears throat> that when I was getting done with the leadership book, I thought, what can I do? What else? Can I do? <laughs> yeah. And, and so it really, almost, I mean, it, it's uh, a way, I guess, for me to exercise just enjoyment. It's been kind of a hobby over my career to kind of have these things that, that distract me from my administrative tasks. So my job, I'm not in the classroom anymore. I'm just pushing papers every day, answering emails. Mm-hmm. And so it connects me to kind of the guild side of, of why you go on to seminary and, and get a doctorate. Um, so there definitely is a lot more on worship. There's some great works. Um, G.K. Beale's got a great book on it. Um, Dan Block has got some great books. Yeah, Alan yeah. Ross. You know, there's there's just been some really good books. Uh, they each have their own niche and they each accomplish their own thing. This, I, I thought, would be at least a little bit different. Um, it would be, again, canonical. Starting the beginning, going to the end, working through individual books of the Bibles or, you know, maybe a couple books together. Um, and then you know, from different perspectives and from different people. So, you know, I know I'm not the best writer in the world, you know, which is why I'm editing these. And I, I know, I know I have strengths in my writing. And so what I, what I would always try to do is I would try to find authors who had a strength in an area and say, mm-hmm. Hey, can you, you know, use this strength and, and produce this, you know, it's 5,000, 6,000 words for a chapter. Um, and I found people really enjoy that. Um, so for the worship book, just like the leadership, you know, I wanted to I wanted to model for students how to go about the biblical study. So every chapter, if you're going through the book, every chapter is is organized amongst or um, in three ways: uh, the context, the theology, and the significance. Kind of like what we would do with some sort of Bible study. Yeah. We want them to know the context, and so every every author uses those um, and. So I hope there's some implicit teaching to lay individuals about how to do their own Bible study. Mm. So, you know, Dan Block, I've got a couple of his books and they're great and they're, they're academic and, and they're, they're well done. Um, this, I think, at least I hope we've written to a, a different audience. So as not to reoccupy that same space, but to fill out what uh, the Academy can bring to the church. Mm. Yeah. I like it more. More lay level, understandable, but also again text centric. And mm-hmm. instead of I think being like a whole vision of what worship is, which is great, it's a mm-hmm. uh, kind of here's <clears throat> book by book how they describe genre by genre, again leading yeah. to New Testament and, and what worship is. And and to that, the book doesn't have to be read in order, which is nice. Now I think the worship book yeah. more than leadership book is beneficial if you read it in order, because it is it is telling the story of Scripture and and how. The tabernacle and, and the desert, you know, Jesus yeah. becomes he tabernacles with us in John. And so mm-hmm. if you've read that, I think chapter three before you read chapter whatever the John chapter is, uh 20 something, 
um, it will make more sense. But if you want to jump in and out of things, it's not, mm. you can't make sense of I mean, Each chapter is individually and self-contained. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. This might be pretty obvious, but how is biblical theology lens helpful for understanding these two topics? That's a good question. Um, I think of it as, as building from the ground up. Um, and so the, the biblical theology, you know, kind of our approach here, the, the attempt for the approach is to start with the foundation and build it up into something that you can understand. Um, often, especially in these practical theologies, you know, people want to just jump straight to the application. They want to paint their house before they make sure the foundation is secure. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I don't, don't need to berate that point, but um, it provides that sequential foundational material so that you can then see the significance of the text on leading leadership and worship. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it's a natural outgrowth of what the text shows us about worship and then we can kind of build a bridge from what the text has about worship into application versus just saying, Hey, here's what worship is. And let's try to find it in the text and, and help you yeah. out a little bit. Oh, I'm sorry. Third question. <laughs> no, uh, yeah. I think Peter was going to ask the next one, but um, I guess, I guess since there's kind of a pause there, I can, I can throw an extra one in here. <laughs> Go let's for just it. say, yeah, right. I, 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 we, I thought we skipped one. Never mind. We're oh, good. Uh, let's just say, um, a non-believer or somebody that hasn't been in church for a long time, maybe de church type of person is looking to pick up this book. What would they get out of it? I've never thought about that. Um, let me think for a second. You know, I, I assume people are coming with some sort of interest. But it definitely is going to tell the the canonical story of scripture, uh, you know, reading um, and kind of thinking through what what we're going to talk about today. Um, you know, the first chapter of the worship book starts with worship in, in the garden, you know, and, and so it frames that that worship was from the beginning and, and with God as we are were to walk in the garden with God as our original parents were. Um worship is work um or our work is to worship and and so there's a lot of uh, i think valuable things but i think they would get the the story of scripture i think they would see then the fall and what happens and and we all know the results of the fall we, we live in a messed up world um but they would see then this this pursuit of god for his people this desire of god from his people to be worshiped and to be worshiped well and rightly not according to what we say we will worship you like, but according to how he has laid out worship to be. Um, and then culminating in Christ and then ultimately in the hope, our eschatological hope. Uh, so I think those who pick this up would uh, be challenged for sure. I think it would be, it would paint a picture of uh, something worthwhile to pursue and seek to understand. Um, I do know that, you know, because we have some of the counseling students in the, the, the leadership class, I know there are uh, uh, students who aren't saved who have gone through it. Um, I've had a couple in the leadership class and, you know, they, they find some value. They, um, they recognize pretty quickly what um, the course is expecting. And so they're at least getting truth. And I am thankful for Paul when he wrote in First Corinthians that, he planted Apollos water, but God brings the growth. And I think there's a, a great freedom in that 
that that those in Christian leadership need to to remember um, that we don't bring the growth. My my brother's church planning out in Seattle, and um, you know, I, when we talk and he's busy and he's feeling the burden and the weight, we uh, we get to remember that we plant. We're faithful in those little things, um, but God brings the growth. Yeah, that's a good point. That's something that I, mean, I didn't really think about coming into this, but it, it is that worship is something that comes from scripture and, and lays out our plan for building worship instead of we say, hey, here, what, like, what can we do? And let's try to find some scriptural support for what we can do. Or say no. I think Scripture gives us a pretty clear idea of what what God is expecting. Um, so that's good. <clears throat> so next question would be: So you've talked about it a little bit. So how does how does the Old Testament to New Testament is there like development in leadership or worship? Because I know people are thinking <clears throat> Old Testament's before Christ, New Testament's with Christ. So like, is there, for lack of a better word, is there developments in how we understand these two things? Good question. Um, you know, when I started the leadership book, uh, my biggest fear was that I was going to have 30 authors say, you should all be servant leaders. And I was like, oh, that'd be a horrible book to read. Um, you know, but I, I just know that's so part of our, our Christian um, kind of conversation and vocabulary about what leadership is. And, you know, I, I was really thankful as things came in and I started to see so many different uh, pictures of what, what leadership is biblically. And yeah. um, I'm, I'm thankful to Walt Kaiser. He wrote the chapter on uh, leadership and the shepherd motif and so mm. and, and really that, that chapter started to kind of awaken me to kind of the shepherd motif of leadership and, you know, his writing in, in association with Timothy Laniac and a few others. Um, I think Christians have missed uh, the shepherd motif Um you know, just by focusing on the servant motif, hmm. but I think they're both there. And so um, in one of the classes I teach online here, uh, we, we talk about shepherd leadership and servant leadership, and it's a fun conversation, uh, but it students don't always come into it expecting to talk about the shepherd. They talk about, they expect servant. And so every once in a while, I'll have a student who will try to say, well, you know, my personality is such that I'm, I'm kind of an A-type person. So I'm a shepherd. I'm not really a servant. Hmm. No, I'm kind of like, well, Jesus was both. Probably <laughs> yeah. should be. Like, like this, isn't a, this isn't a personality trait. This isn't a discipline yeah. This isn't, you know, whatever those personality things yeah. are. Huh. Um, where you get to say, this is my personality. Thus, I'm a shepherd. Thus, I'm a servant. I'm not, you know, not a shepherd or not a servant. Um, to be like Jesus, we need to image Jesus. And, and Jesus was the good shepherd. And he was the servant. And so I think, you know, as, I, as I talk about that, I, I, I think that um, John 10 and Psalm 23 and this shepherd motif, it really dovetails well with what Luther talks about in the theology of the cross. Um, I think the, the shepherd motif, Jesus uh, walked where we could not go. Just like the shepherd in Psalm 23, he leads through the valley of the shadow of death. And, and so we see those pictures kind of crossing, um, you know, and then in the incarnation, we see him taking the form of a servant. And so then we see this servant leadership and the washing of the feet that we know so well. Uh, so, you know, the Old to the New Testament, I, I see these pictures. And, and so I really try to get students to not talk about them as leadership styles. I don't want them mm. to do that. I want them to talk about them as motifs mm. and, and say then this, this picture 
of the shepherd and the servant, which is, there's probably more, but that's the two that I've really picked up on and, and used mostly. And, and it convicts me, you know, when, um, when it's time to put my kids into bed, I got three kids, they're 10, eight and five, you know, I'm tired, but it's my job to shepherd them. So that means that there's certain functions I need to do. I need to pray with them. I need to talk with them. Sometimes bedtime takes a lot longer than it normally takes. Uh, in the middle of the night though, when they throw up, I've got to get up and clean it up. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. that I get, I'm the shepherd, somebody else who's softer and gentle yeah. to be the servant. Okay. So <laughs> it, it, it's a both and, and that, that kind of comes and goes back and forth in, in our ways of, of leading. Um, so that's kind of how I would say the answer that question for the leadership book Yeah. for the, for the worship book. Um, what, what I think I see uh, is right worship isn't methodological. It's theological. Hmm. And wrong worship isn't methodological. It's theological. Hmm. And so throughout scripture, um, God gives us things and, and ways to worship. You know, he gives the, the sacrifice, um, but he, he, he doesn't come down and, and there might be some OT scholars out there that listen to this and might come up with some nuances, but yeah, um, he's not coming down on people who worship wrongly methodologically. Hmm. It's when they worship wrongly theologically, when they doubt him, when they question what he says, when, when it's syncretistic, when it's done, you know, while they're also oppressing others and, and lording over others, you know, it's, it's a, it's a theological issue of the heart and belief. Um, and going into the new Testament, going into the, the church age, um, I think that's still true. It's, uh, you know, we worship in spirit and truth. We, um, but it's, it's theological. It's not just hymns. It's not just music instrumentality. It's, you know, it's not all of these liturgies that, that separate denominationally it's uh it's theological and so worship is theological is kind of what a, one of the things that i would encourage people to take away from reading that and seeing that uh through the the old testament and the new testament yeah that's that's good that's helpful um and that that kind of brings me kind of pretty organically to the next question so you've teased out a little bit of this but what are some some insights or teasers that either that you read from the contributors that you kind of had through research that you can give um, kind of toss up to the listeners like, Oh, I want to learn more about this stuff. I hadn't really thought about this before. That's a good question. Um, I'll start with leadership one. Um, If you Google our representational reign by Michael Figpen. So he wrote one of the chapters in the book and on uh, leadership in Saul, David and Solomon. And he, he was professor at Biola and now is, I think provost at Phoenix Seminary. Um, anyways, he has his chapter from the book on the Biola faculty page. So you can at least get an, an idea of what uh, the book reads like without having to buy anything. Uh, so his chapter, I, I really liked his chapter. Um, in it, what struck me was uh, his statement about fear. And he, he was looking at Saul and he said, when Saul led well, he feared God. Or when Saul feared God, he led well. When Saul feared man, he started to fail as a leader. And, and that has been this kind of still small voice in the back of my head 
in, in my leadership kind of you know, getting jobs and promotions and moving on to different roles, um, starting to, to, to try to analyze, you know, what am I doing? Am, am, I, am I doing this out of a fear of God or a fear of man? Am I doing this because there's some sort of bureaucratic principle or hierarchy that, that says I need to do this? Or am I doing this again at, at, to, at worship, as work as worship, because I'm stewarding the opportunities that I've been given that the Lord has provided for me? And so that, that idea of fear of man uh, versus fear of God in our leadership to me was really helpful. Uh, the other chapter that I point people to in the leadership book that I think just kind of shows what this book does differently than, than most leadership books is the, the chapter on Daniel. And, uh, you know, Daniel's a great guy. Most leadership books are going to have something about Daniel. Uh, if it's a biblical leadership, and they'll say Daniel was an awesome dude. And thus he was a great leader and you should be like him. He prayed, he stood strong. He didn't bend his knees to the false gods of the day. You know, those are all great things. Um, those are all true things And a character study on Daniel is, is a wonderful thing to do. Uh, but what the authors did, you know, as trained exegetes and, and OT theologians, they, they saw this fascinating interplay between cosmic and worldly powers. Mm. Yeah, that's huge in Daniel. It is huge. And and so, you know, Daniel 1, the kings of the earth say, hey, eat this food and you're going to be awesome. And Yahweh says, no, don't follow me and stay true to me. And so we see that Yahweh's power extends over human potential, over what the king say is going to make you strong and good. Uh, chapter 2, Yahweh's power extends over the unseen world. And so it's this play between the kings of the earth and their power and, and Yahweh's power. Uh, chapter 3, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, Yahweh's power extends over the natural elements, fire. And and so there's this, just every chapter kind of goes back and forth between the kings of the earth saying, I've got power, even to the point where uh, Nebuchadnezzar says, I, I, you know, I'm God, and he, he yeah. elevates himself. Yeah. God says, nope, you'll eat grass, and, and I have more power than you. Uh, and so to me, that's um, what this leadership book does, is mm -hmm. it, it highlights, you know, it's, it's a picture of the whole book, not just the person. And, and so we talk about the context and then theology and then this, this application. And so uh, to me, that's been uh, really encouraging and helpful in my own thing. Um, and looking at the, the worship book, um, you know, I'd kind of go back to the statement I made previously that right worship isn't methodological, it's theological. Yeah. Wrong worship isn't methodological, it's theological. And so, you know, in throughout worship and throughout the book, you see that interplay. You know, uh, Michael Thigpen again wrote a chapter for the, um, the worship book on Joshua, and he talked about uh, worship in Joshua is trust and obedience. I don't, I don't really think of trust <laughs> as worship. Um, you know, I, I can see obedience as worship. I, I've heard that at least in a sermon or two. Um, but it really resonated with me that um, there's more to this, that this is part of our work. You know, part of trusting is putting our faith in. It's a submission. It's a humility. Um, there's a chapter by Joanna Hoyt in the, the worship book where she looks at the calendar of worship in ancient Israel. And I loved that chapter. I mean, usually, so the, the whole 
the feasts and the, and the celebrations. Um, I know it's an important part of of the the Hebrew life in their world. Yeah. But it doesn't resonate with my 21st century world. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and we hear it, and it's kind of like, well, this one's a, a day, and this one's a week, and this one's you know all you know all these different times. It, the calendar doesn't make sense. So her simplification, the calendar, but also the the reminder that the Lord set up the calendar for feasts and fasts, you know, for celebrations of joy and, um, and then also times of remembrance. And so for me, you know, I, I, I don't come from a liturgical background, but the idea of having cyclical remembrances has really helped me to, to, to as I'm growing and as I'm, I'm, you know, maturing and, and increasing in sanctification to, to say that I need feasts and I need fasts. I need both of those because it's an important part of calendaring my reflection in my heart and assessing, you know, I tell students assessment is important in their own life. It's important in my life too. And so that to me, that's one of the things that jumped out in, in worship, mm. um, you know, going on, you know, the, um, the, the final, final chapter on revelation, it's, you know, we, we have eternity to look forward to worship. And, and as a kid, um, you know, that didn't really sound that exciting. So I try to kind of figure out how I can make heaven sound super exciting because I trusted the Lord that it would be good, but I didn't really know how like a church service for 10,000 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? and, and so, you know, there's just a, a painting that every tribe and every tongue will be singing worthy as a lamb you know, in the midst of, of our world where there really just is more divisiveness than I remember as a kid. Um, you know, maybe I pay attention to the media more, maybe it is more divisive. I don't know, but we have, we have this hope in a fellowship of a, of a universal worldwide church coming together from all over this globe, from all over creation, all over time, joining together and singing that praise to the lamb. And so, um, that's, that's one I would highly recommend, you know, readers take a look at, I, it was, it was done well. Yeah. I mean, if that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what'll get you excited to, to read these two works. Um, that's, that's really helpful just to get a, a grasp and kind of a teaser on what, what these things are. And so I know after <clears throat> your first two volumes, you have another one coming up that you, that you emailed us about. Um, so Did I tell you what it was, we, I, I think you told us and I forgot. Okay. That's all right. Uh, so I'm really excited about it. Um, I, I told a friend about it. I said, you know, I might be, uh, it might be a pothole that I'm stepping in. <laughs> and I told him the project and goes, it might be stepping in quicksand. So we're, we're, I'm doing a third book in the series. It's biblical justice, huh? which is, I'm super excited about, but I know I'm going to tick people off on the right and the left. You know, it, for some, I'm not going to go far enough and for others i'm not i'm going to go too far you know any mention of justice is too much um I, my goal as the editor and i'm doing this with john lee who's at midwestern baptist and da horton who's at cal baptist um so we're editing it together our goal is to really again ground it in the text and, and so we talk a lot about justice and and one of the questions that i i just personally have with that is well, what are we talking about what is justice what, what do we mean by that when we say social justice, you know, one person has an idea, another person has a different idea, a third person has a different idea, and so we all have different ideas. Um, 
And I know that this book is not going to solve all of those issues, but the subtitle that we're, we've pitched for it that I really want to keep is Theology for the Unity of the Church. And so here we have this idea of justice, which has kind of been one of the least unifying, most divisive topics um, over the past couple of years. I, I think it can unify because what I think it can do is I think it can remind us that we're, we're all committed to scripture. We're all committed to, I mean, if we're confessing Christians, and so I, I mean, that's, that's who I'm talking to, that's the, the audience of the book. We're confessing Christians. We believe what God has said in his word. And so we are going to unify around that, that the Bible says to walk humbly and do justice, right? And so that unification then, after we unify around that, there will be differences in how that is lived out in the ideals of the application. And so one person will read that and they will, you know, commit to saying, okay, this is what it means. And the other person will say, well, it means this. And, and those two won't look the same. And I'm okay with that. I think that's, that's a beauty of the church. Yeah. It's a beauty of the gifts. Um, if you're an ear, do justice like you're an ear. If you're a heart, do it like you're a heart. Yeah. You know, and, and those who are hearts and ears have different personalities and different giftings and different spiritual you know, use in the body. Yeah. Um, and so that there will be a, a difference in, in application of what that looks like. But I think if we can remind ourselves that the Bible says this, God has said something about justice and thus has a meaning and a purpose for us to understand what justice looks like, well, then it can, it can really start to soften the, the rhetoric around uh, justice. Um, I, I want to frame it around biblical justice. Um, and so biblical justice, at least in our introduction, what we've said is biblical justice includes societal justices and social justices and injustices, but also divine justice, you know, which is an important part of that. Like yeah. the wrath of God poured out on his son for us. You know, that's, that's a conversation that should entail justice yeah. because God was justly satisfied in Christ for me. Um, and so I'm, I'm really excited about the project. We are, um, I've got two more chapters to actually find authors for. And I've actually already had one chapter turned in. My, my afternoon is going to be spent reading that. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've got uh, a, a variety of scholars speaking to this one. So it's, it's definitely, um, you know, we've got, we, we tried to find people from every continent, you know, evangelical scholars that are, you know, from all over the world speaking to this topic I, I did not want it to be um singularly perspectival you know i didn't want it to be just from one background i wanted to really bring in the world's background and so you know we didn't do that perfectly but we did it to the best of our ability trying to find people from all over that could speak to this um again otnt scholars so it, it'll be exciting um it's yeah. it's probably two out two years out from being out so yeah. you know, maybe it will still be a a really, really important and timely topic, or maybe it will have died down and then it'll just go on someone's shelf. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it'll still be <laughs> pretty, pretty high up in the, in the conversation. I think, oh yeah. Yeah. There's some, there's some beauty and diversity in, in seeing injustice and um, having not just, I guess, quote unquote, an American view of justice, but a European view and an African view and an Australian view, and just having a full global view of what justice is as it relates to, and as it comes from, the text of the bible i think that's that's super necessary yeah well, I'm sorry. i appreciate it 
Yeah, I'm thinking that as the image of God, we are made in the image of God. We have a hunger for justice. Yeah. And outside of God, we are really confused how to define it and how to carry it forth. Yeah. So that's where the world we are. I feel like the world we're in is like everyone wants justice, but they're scrambling around looking at, you know, ourselves versus God. And, and no wonder there's frustration and chaos. Yeah. I, um, I, I think it, it's going to be a fun thing to, to nuance and it's going to create good conversations. Um, more so in this book, I, I think there might, you, you'll see, you know, authors backgrounds. Um, there might be people that, that are on different sides of kind of where, you know, the yeah. church is going to come down, but that's going to balance it out in a yeah. sense. I'm going to show that um, there is beauty in the diversity of understanding and opinions, and it's going to give us some really, I think, rich um, soil to have important conversations mm -hmm. around. Yeah, I mean, both of these, the volumes that you have out right now, we've both thumbed through it and, and seen some of the chapters. We know a couple of people who've written some of the chapters. I mean, it's, I think it's, it's fantastically written, all the contributors bringing different voices. And so, I mean, as in terms of like just biblical theology and in its application, I don't know of a better word that kind of brings in all these contributors from outside and says, hey, you do what you do best and then I'll kind of edit this stuff. Um, yeah, so it's... I hope more churches use it, more individuals use it, Bible studies. Hey, if we want to learn about leadership, let's go to this book. If we want to learn about worship, let's go to this book. Um, so I commit it to all of our listeners, and, and we'll try to push it out as much as we can to hey, have you. more people listen you. And, and read it. Thank you much. Yeah, so thanks for coming on, Dr. Forrest. It was a great conversation. Thanks for talking about this stuff, and we're going to pencil you in in two years to, to talk about biblical justice. <laughs> I'll look forward to it. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. What's up, fellow book nerds? We hope you enjoyed that episode with Dr. Forrest. Thank you to Dr. Forrest for being on, and thank you to Craigle for allowing us to have him on and talk about the books. Heck yeah, Dr. Ben Forrest, you guys heard this from Liberty University, <coughs> wrote these books with Craigle. He's wrote, actually written a lot more books, but these are really good books on the, not just like the concept of it, because sometimes Christian books can be kind of weird. On like, oh, let's be a leader like Moses or let's be a leader like Jesus. But mm -hmm. he actually goes to the biblical theology on leadership and worship and brings like really top-notch scholars on and edits these. So yeah, this is this is a great episode. You guys will love it. Yeah, something that kind of surprised me about is if it, it, it at first I thought it was gonna be a little bit more heady and academic, and and uh, but it's it's written for kind of just everybody yeah. and uh, the layperson and everything. And he even explains like, obviously there's a ton of books out there on leadership. Yeah. So, but they tend this, to be kind of like self-helpy and yeah. like moralistic and his is much more, how does the theology of leadership point us towards the true leader, Jesus Christ, not just be a leader like this person. There we go. Yeah. He's bridging the gap right there. there so um, it, even if kind of like you're a leader in anything, like at your job or whatever, just reading this could help you um, with whatever aspect in life that you're a leader with. And then in the biblical worship volume, um, that was written after the leadership one yeah. because he liked it so much. That's, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> they liked it a lot and he wanted to 
talk about how the Bible talked about worship and from beginning to end, how yeah. the priests set up worship. And again, all of this wasn't just in and of itself, how these things worked, but how all of these worship elements pointed towards the true, true, true worship of Jesus Christ. So I, I, I like this emphasis on that. I think that's incredibly important and crucial to talk about this day and age, and it always has been, but we need to worship God as he prescribed us to worship him. And exactly. that's, why I, that's why I love the Reformed Church, because we do that. But there's so many churches out there that kind of just toss everything out, and we're like, no, we're going to worship God the way we kind of think is really yeah. what we want it. What we want to worship him. kind of talked about this, and yeah, yeah this, the <clears throat> Reformed way is there's the, well, we can do anything that's not explicitly denied or negated in the Bible, which tends to be most people's approach to worship. Or there's a reform way, which is, no, we do what worship is lined out in the Bible, because the Bible does line out how to worship. And so reformed mm-hmm. are like, we're going to worship how Jesus tells us to worship him. Yeah. Guys, God told us how to worship him. Just follow it (laughs) yeah it's 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 called the the pastoral epistles it's called paul's epistles he wrote those to churches how to structure their worship services yeah so good stuff thank you dr forrest for writing these books and his biblical justice volume he he hinted at that's coming up in a couple years that's gonna be phenomenal yeah, I think he, he said 2023, and he was already super excited. And he said he only had three manuscripts in, and he's going to get like 40. So, like, imagine how good that's going to be. Hurry up and write it, Dr. Forrest. We, we don't want to wait till 2023. Yeah, <laughs> write it now so we can read it and then promote it. Yeah, yeah, biblical justice. That is something that we need to hear about right now, and we probably still will be. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, yep. And... We have a book giveaway winner for Dr. Millar's Change into His Likeness, and it is Ryan Pullman. Oh, right on. Ryan, yep, he interacts with us quite a bit on social media. Yeah, you, you're one of our friends on social media. We see you a lot. I know we've already, we've already given you a book for Covenant Theology, but we consider that a different bucket than book club because that was not a book club book. So this one's an actual book club book. So you won Dr. Millar. Yep. You didn't win Dr. Millar. You won it. <laughs> Dr. Millar just knocks on his door. He's like, <laughs> You're right on. I'm, I'm with his good accent. <laughs> exactly. Let me write books for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, we've exchanged a lot of uh, virtual high fives. So Uh, Thank you for interacting with us on social media. I know that's kind of the easiest way to get our attention. So, yep. So, and I mean, we already have your mailing address because you already gave it to us for the Covenant Theology book. So there's nothing you got to do. We'll just send you another book. (laughs) Hopefully you listen to this episode. It's not just complete (laughs) surprise. Yeah, he gets a new book. He's like, whoa, my gosh. (laughs) This is fantastic. Hopefully people are still listening to us, Peter. Yeah, I hope so. It's, it's probably just our moms, to be honest. Our moms it's are just, good. go Nick, go Peter. Yeah. All right. Well, one last uh, comment from me. Oh, yeah. Uh, unless you have anything. Uh, and a couple of things I was thinking about randomly just bringing up. But 
I think I just want to talk about the Machen book, The Things oh. Unseen. Okay. Um, I call, I, I've been turning my household into Machen Monday or um, morning Machens, <laughs> Machen mornings. You, you, know, you know what people call you? It's, it's oh, they're called Machen Warriors. Really? So you're a Machen Warrior. I love, I feel tougher already. It kind, was kind of derogatory for a little bit. Was it? Okay. Well, but now it's kind of uses like, it's kind of how Christians were used in the, the early centuries of the church. It was, it was a derogatory term. And the Christians are like, we're going to take their derogatory term and make it better. Yeah, I'll just run with it. There you go. Well, check, check this out, guys. So every morning, not every morning, but most mornings, um, I will read one of his talks. And it's just kind of nice because he's, he's obviously so theologically brilliant and deep, oh, yeah. but he can explain this to the lay person, everyday person on the street. And that's what his goal always was. Yeah. But he talks about stuff that is incredibly crucially important with doc, like, like doctrine. Oh yeah. He was a world-class theologian in his time. Yeah. And I feel like if, if nothing else, just reading the Bible and things unseen. I mean, the Bible itself is good enough, but just reading things unseen, the Bible, um, I just feel like I'm getting really good theology in yeah. for that day. Yeah. Yeah. If you guys haven't listened to it, we actually had Dr. Lil back on to talk about things unseen, um, Dr. Machen's work. So if you guys haven't listened to that, it was in, um, it was in June, I believe, that we had that we published this so go back to june go find that episode and listen to it and then go to westminster seminary press and order yourself a copy of the book yep yeah i mean in terms of an introductory systematic for how concise it is i don't know if there's a better one out there yeah because it good. starts off like dr Lilback said starts off very broad and yeah. then it moves very, very concisely into reform doctrine. That's right. That's right. It's yeah. I mean, I don't know how else to really ex further explain what you just said, but yeah, it's like talking <laughs> yeah. to everybody in the beginning, e explaining the basics of the Bible and Christianity. And then as you're walking along with him by the end, it's like, all right, this is very, and my very reformed approach. And I need to. to I need this. I, I, this will be my thing from now on. I need to. I need this joke at least once every episode. You come into the book Baptist. You come out Presbyterian. <laughs> well, there's other than that. I mean, we got a lot of Baptists. Uh, we love our Baptists, brothers and sisters. We, we, we got can't a lot wait of for you guys to become Presbyterian. Yeah. Um, but. I mean, there's people that are out there that um, are not, maybe not even Baptist. What else would they be? Uh, just very non-denominational, or maybe they're not even Christian. Not even they're not even Baptist. We're, we're not going to baptize they're, anybody. They're Episcopalian. They're Roman Catholic. They're well, Roman Catholic or Pado Baptists. Yep, they're, they're just anything other than uh, Presbyterian or Baptist. I mean, there's there's a lot else out there we can go on and they're on. They're just like, we're not going to baptize anybody. We're not going to listen to the Great Commission. <laughs> we're just going to have a whole unbaptized church. So, yeah, this is uh, this is a good book to read, guys. So we just uh, 
thank you for listening. Thank you for hopefully you're reading the books that we mentioned. Um, and thanks yeah. for listening. And reach out if you guys have any suggestions for books. We have a huge list of books that are coming up and authors that we're interviewing, but we always like hearing what you guys are, what you guys are interested in. Uh, and then make sure you guys tune in for Monday's Promises and Fulfillment episode five. We have our esteemed returning guest, Dr. Miles Van Peltz, talking about the Noahic Covenant and the Covenant of Grace, which absolutely blew our minds. Mm-hmm. We, at, both of it, after we texted each other, like that was the best episode we've had on. Yeah, that was a really good one. You guys aren't going to want to miss it. And no. if you guys have not ordered your Covenant Theology book, what are you doing Crossway yet? You got to go on Crossway's website. You got to order that book. We're, you still have time to catch up. We're only on, uh, what, episode six? So you have time. They're not that long of chapters. Or, yeah, we're coming up on episode five, actually. So you guys yeah. have plenty of time. So, yep. good deal. And next Thursday for Book Club, we have Janine Brown mm-hmm. on Scripture as Communication. So it's actually a really interesting interview and re- actually a really interesting book, too. Because mm-hmm. how do you understand Scripture? How do you exegetes and find the meaning of scripture not just as a written text but as a spoken text because that's what it was for hundreds of years was a spoken text yeah she's brilliant yeah how do you interpret a text that was meant to be spoken yep yeah she touches on hermeneutics she's really well known as being incredibly intelligent um, oh yeah she, she's if you if you talk to anybody who knows their stuff about the bible and says who's the who's one of the best people on this on the bible as a spoken document they would say janine brown mm-hmm. so hope you guys enjoy that yeah and keep on interacting with us we didn't mention a book giveaway because we have none this week <laughs> so look forward to next week because we will have a book giveaway for janine brown but guess what? We do have books laying around we would oh, like we to give out. So if you become a supporter of our show financially, just by donating to us, mm-hmm. we would, we'll interact with you and figure out a book that we have available that you would want. And we just send it to you. Yeah. With a $20 donation, you get a book for free. <laughs> 99 <laughs> cents a month. You get a free book. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yep. All right, we will see you guys next week.